I'm George Kaler, and today's Tea with George is sponsored by the Kaler Group Wealth Management. Do you have some money that you would like to grow, leverage, safeguard? Call 434-455-7197. Today I'm with Professor Steve Putney, expert on the Constitution and on history, and it really is the best I've ever met. And after 80 years, I've met a lot of guys, but nothing like Steve. I'm with attorney Diane Gruber, and today I really need an attorney to help us through phenomenon we've seen on the news lately. And speaking of the news, I was in a, in a discussion group this morning of men in their early 80s. And good men, uh, the Republicans, conservatives, Democrats, liberals, but they were talking about January 6th and how they had become convinced that the insurrectionists were led by Donald Trump and Donald Trump should be arrested for trying to destroy our republic. And I said, what do you mean you saw the videos? He said, well, I've seen them over and over and over again. I said, I had a friend in Germany, not a close friend. He was the son of Fritz Hippler. Fritz Hippler was hired by uh, Joseph Goebbels to do a film. It was called The Eternal Jew. And the film showed over and over again Jews in an unfavorable light to get the German people ready to not mind Jews disappearing in their neighborhood. They were sent off to the concentration camp. But that's what, that's what propagandists do. They show the same selected thing over and over again. And I told them, I said, Mike Johnson is now in the process of releasing the 30,000 hours, not the one minute you've been looking at, but the 30,000 hours of video and we're finding out that a whole lot of the stuff the January Commission talked about simply wasn't true. Well, these guys, they have a paradigm, and they're sticking with it. So it's, it's going to be difficult winning back Americans who have been shown the same video over and over again. Today, I want to talk a little bit about Fannie Willis and, and uh, Judge Ergodon, or whatever his name is. I uh, call him Golem, like from the... <laughs> <laughs> the trilogy of the rings. <laughs> and Diane, you're a lawyer and a good one. Would you tell us some of the vagaries of this court procedure that just don't sit well with an attorney? Well, first, I want to preface this by saying Letitia James, who's the current attorney general of New York, she campaigned on getting Trump. Now, think about that in a minute. Number one, that's unethical. That could get you disbarred, at least in Oregon. I, I don't know what the ethics rules are in, in the state of uh, New York. That is unethical. And, quote, unquote, getting Trump. At that point when she was campaigning, she had absolutely no access to his business records. So how did she know that he had done something wrong? She, she didn't. So once she became attorney general... What she did was she put, uh, she took a whole bunch of her staff, deputy attorney generals and so forth and so on, and their their clerks and their legal secretaries and so forth. She made a whole a whole department maybe out, set them aside, uh, took them off of really important you know important cases where 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 New Yorkers were being harmed. Took them off of those cases, and set them about looking for some statute that they could, quote-unquote, get Trump on. 
This is what she did. That That is so unethical. You You do not campaign on getting anybody. You do not find the man and I'll find the crime. When did we ever do that? That's what the Soviets did. You, you focus on an individual and then you hunt around, hunt around. You know, they focused on me. They'd probably, you know, find a witness where I jaywalked. Every one of us can make a mistake once in a while. This is not how our, our system works. And then to, and now they've set a precedent. Now they set a precedent that, that they could come in to any business, subpoena the records, and find out if you overvalued your assets and then they can target you and they can they can and, and most businesses could not withstand the kind of fine that trump's business could businesses would be wiped out in in new york they've set a present this is they've never used that statute this way before this is the very 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 first time and now all the businesses in New York are quaking in their boots. So what does uh, uh, Governor uh, ha- Hankel, Hankel, I'm sorry, I forgot her first name. The Catherine. governor there in New York, she came out yesterday and she said, oh, don't worry about it. We will, we will not pursue anybody else for doing the same thing. We, we, we will not pursue. Well, I mean, that's a, a, a promise now with this governor and that attorney general because all they wanted to do was get Trump. Pretty soon, this there'll be a different governor, and there'll be a different attorney general, and maybe they'll use this president to go after businesses so they can suck up more money. Keep in mind, since there was no victim, there was no victim to pay this so-called fraud money to. So the money that Trump is paying was it three hundred fifty-five million, I believe it was. That goes to the state of New York. So the state of New York is going to get wealthy at the expense of businesses if they if they start doing this to other businesses. They're going to be putting everybody out of business. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because, because again, all they wanted to do was get Trump. This just turns everything upside down, upside down. I I don't even uh, I I can't. And it, it you know take Trump out of the equation. This should not be done to anybody. Steve, you're a historian. Has it been done to anybody maybe that we just haven't seen? Has anything like this happened in your experience in American history? Not that I am aware of. Nothing that comes to my mind immediately. But what does come to my mind is the Eighth Amendment, which talks about, well, the first phrase doesn't apply, but the second and third phrases do. You're talking about an excessive fine here. And that's not allowed, according to the Eighth Amendment in the Bill of Rights. An excessive fine, $0 fraud case, $355 million fine. My understanding, and Diane, you correct me here, uh, you clarify, um, in a fraud case, if someone has been defrauded, say, let's say $1,000, the maximum penalty is like three times the initial fraud. Well, you're thinking under federal law. So, yes, you're correct. Under federal law, that's true. Who knows under state law? And again, there was no fraud victim. So how can you ascertain? Let's say, Steve, you've defrauded me and it can be provable out of $10,000. That's 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 a quantitative amount. Right. Right. And then and then they can whatever the law is in New York, they can take that figure and decide what the fine is going to be, how much I'm going to you know, you're going to have to pay me. You're going to have to pay me at least 10000 to to make me whole, but then there will be an additional penalty to keep you from doing, and others from doing it again. Let's say the penalty is 10 times then. So I owe you 
$100,000. Whatever time zero is still zero, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Nobody, while, nobody but... was defrauded. There's no victim here. I got an email yesterday from a liberal, and I made the comment that there was no victim. And so why? And the banks made money on this. And his question was this. In your mind, then, fraud is okay if there wasn't a victim. What kind of reasoning is that? How could there be fraud without a victim of the fraud? Yeah. I mean, it's just sometimes I could go go crazy. I was I was event where Dr. Oz Guinness spoke last week. Brilliant man. He said he would do an interview with me, and I hope he does because I want to catch him before he dies. He's my age, and who knows? But he was talking about how America and other great republics came together. And he said it was uh, a group of people who had an idea, a philosophy, which they all cling to. And they formed a group based on that, and they formed a republic. Well, of course, our idea was a Judeo-Christian republic, our forefathers that wrote the Constitution and wrote the Declaration of Independence. You can see that in both documents. James Madison who wrote much of our Constitution, had studied Hebrew law when the Hebrews went into the Promised Land. He studied that for two years. He studied the Magna Carta, the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, and so on. He based our Constitution on our Judeo-Christian, and that was the idea that brought us all together. Well, to destroy a country, then, you must destroy the idea. And one of the things that Dr. Guinness mentioned, he said, now, if you truly want to murder a country, not just its suicide, but its murder, he said that would be done through open borders, bringing enough people in who don't have the same idea. He said, no, that will end it very quickly. The, the long march, that is the radicals of the 60s, seeing that rioting and so on wasn't going to get it, and how they would turn this country around into a socialist dictatorship which they believed is the best form of government, by taking their time just mm -hmm. into academia, into mm -hmm. the media, even into the mainline denominations in churches. You see where Methodists and, and Presbyterians and so on are really losing membership because people are saying, what is this? I, I, I don't need to go to a church like this. I was going to said, there's no hope unless we can get back to the idea that formed us. He said, and control our borders. And it was kind of depressing in a way, but he said, we can do it. It's been done before. But it's going to take a real shift in thought in America. And that's what I've been praying for. Uh, Diane, let's get back to the legal side of this. Isn't it proper for DAs or, or judges to recuse themselves when they've already said something in public? against the subject of the investigation and the trial and so on? What is recruit, What is it when someone should recuse? Well, it, it, the rules are different from state to state, but basically the concept is you want the, the public at large and the defendant in that, the litigants in that particular case to feel like that the judge is neutral, that the court is neutral looking at everything from a neutral perspective. You don't want to judge, no, no litigant wants a judge that they think has already predetermined in their mind that they're going to rule 
on behalf of the other litigant, you know, let's say in some civil dispute, contract dispute or something, or especially in criminal law. You've really, this is why judges, an ethical judge is quite careful with his or her words in public. An ethical judge who's just been assigned to a given murder case is not going to go on on television or, or give a speech or whatever telling talking about how, oh, yeah, the defendant is guilty. I mean, that's just one really horrible example there. Because you want the public at large needs to feel like they can trust their court system. They can go, regardless of who they are, they can go in front of the court and be treated with fairness based upon the law, the statutes and the law. That funny man in New York, I'm sorry, I cannot pronounce his last name, Arthur somebody. I mean, what a clown. He made it clear from the get-go he was against Trump in so many things that he, his actions and his and his behavior and so forth. He wouldn't even allow Trump to testify. When tra- Trump was on the stand, he told, he, he, he limited him in what subjects Trump could what what questions Trump could answer? That's not a fair trial. When it, you know when the attorney asks a question that's pertinent to the issue at hand, the witness you know should be allowed to say what they want to say. But he ask, even cut uh, that off. I've heard the legal side of it from an attorney. Constitutionally, this happened in New York City, Steve. And oftentimes we count on the Supreme Court to say whether something is constitutional or not. Uh, Can the Supreme Court rule on something that's not a federal situation? Yes. On appeal, it's called appellate jurisdiction, but it has to work its way through the court system. And um, just if I can go back to just a moment here about uh, Diane's comment, um, Judge E, I can't pronounce his last name either, he declared Trump guilty even before the trial started, and the trial was simply to determine what the uh, judgment, the punishment would be. Um, and, and that takes me back to when I mentioned the Eighth Amendment. The, the second clause of the, of, of the Eighth Amendment, I shouldn't say clause, the second phrase of the Eighth Amendment says, no excessive fine. The third phrase says, no unusual punishment. If you have a zero if a zero-dollar uh, fraud case is not a $350 million fine an unusual punishment? Isn't that subjective, though, that the judge could decide without, uh, without worrying whether that was actually excessive or not? Well, if the judge is supposed to, to be a fair arbitrator, he's not going to go off the deep end one way or the other, is he? It's going to be a reasonable punishment not an unusual punishment. I mean, if he truly was guilty of the crime, well, it's a made-up crime, actually. It's a consumer fraud statute that's never been used in this way before. But if he were actually guilty of that, to impose no punishment would be unusual. To impose an excessive punishment would be unusual. I think it has to be reasonable. And there's no reason involved here in Judge E's determination. Well, he just he just pulled it out of his ear because there was no fraud. There was no dollar amount by which somebody had been defrauded. If he had had a dollar amount to say, like I said before, okay, Trump, you defrauded the bank at $10,000, you owe them 10000 then he can add the fine to that. Right. But the defraudment was zero. 
Nobody lost a dime. So, I mean, I, I, I hate to kind of be on this this judge's side of the argument there, but he had no basis upon which to to make a, 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 a dollar ruling because there was no fraud and nobody was defrauded any even a penny. So he just pulled it out of the air. So, yeah, it's going to lose on appeal. Well, I was asked yeah. the other day, why would they do this? I mean, why would they do this to Trump? And Trump himself said, if I weren't running for re-election, yes. this would have never even been brought up. Diane, you said something. No. Tell us, no. tell our listeners how to get to your almost daily essays. They're just fabulous. I wish the whole whole country could see them every day. Tell us how to do that. Thank you, George. Well, I'm on Substack. I'm writing more and more now that it's election year. And frankly, the topics are f- flying at me so fast and furious with this absolute out of their mind White House and Democrats and all the hatred and and just what we've been talking about, all these court cases. I I used to write four or five times a week, and now I'm publishing you know, twice a day, three times a day sometimes. So I'm on Substack. My name is Diane L. Gruber. You can find me that way. Or my I title my you know my blog, America First Reignited. I'm only doing this because I'm a retired attorney. I'm only doing this because I'm so worried about America. I, I feel like I have to do something to save our country for you know, for the the generations to follow. And so that's that's why I'm doing it. That's why I'm on your podcast too, George. <laughs> you're on Thank the you. podcast because you're you're one of the sharpest knives in the drawer that I have and maybe ever. I, I want to bring up another thing that you were writing about, and that was Black Lives Matter, uh, which is clearly, from what we saw, a terrorist organization. Yeah. I heard two comments yeah. this morning. I marched with Martin Luther King back in 1964. He was a proponent of nonviolence, and he was Mm -hmm. effective. One of the people at my table, the old guy said, well, my preacher said, if your voice just can't be heard any other way, it has to be heard through violence. And so Black Lives Matter had a perfect right to destroy, burn, even hurt people to make their get their point across because they had no other other way, and I thought Martin Luther King would just be rolling on his grave if he yes. heard something like that, and it really bothered me. And then he said, "Our moderator here was just defending the insurrectionists of January the sixth, saying that perhaps it was just a uh, a conspiracy that it wasn't really an insurrection. How can you compare insurrectionists?" who wanted to overthrow our government violently to poor black people that were just protesting the bad treatment. And I thought, am I on a distant planet? Have things gotten, and we're not talking about a kid, an idealistic kid, we're, we're, talk, we're talking about old men. The second thing, Diane, we're learning a lot more about the vaccinations. And it's getting worse than I imagine it. I told you about the actuaries problem with life insurance mm-hmm. companies because the vaccinated have a much higher mortality rate and we can't charge them more, at least not now, because they perceive the government's going to come down on them. But now we're finding that the vaccinating, vaccinated people who have not only lost their immunity to colds and other kinds of flus and even to COVID. I ran into a guy the other day. He said he's caught every cold, every flu, everything, 
including COVID. He's had it three times since he was vaccinated. Well, that's a kind of disease that is now being passed on to the non-vaccinated. That non-vaccinated, there's been documented evidence that that non-vaccinated people are beginning to suffer some of the same effects as the vaccinated because it's like a, the flu itself. Are you talking about the shedding? What yeah, they the, call co- shedding? Communi- the vaccination oh, shed. is a communicable disease now. You've been vaccinated, and some of the awful stuff that's now in you, the detrimental effects of that could be passed on to me. Oh, to people that you're around, like maybe you work with somebody, you spend a lot of time with somebody? Yes, indeed. Or, or your family member that isn't vaccinated? Oh, geez, oh, please. You know, I'll tell you something, George. My husband and I, the more time goes on, the more we feel like geniuses. Felt in our guts early on that these vaccinations were not healthy, that ha- they would have bad side effects. We just felt, and so by the time it, the vaccines were available to us, we said no. But, but I'll bet you came under a lot of fire too. You know how? Oh yeah. Are you, well, I, I I keep my I keep my medical. I don't talk about my medical issues. I don't go strutting around saying, you know, I have a shoe flu. I don't. I don't virtue signal. Well, today I had my flu shot. Blah blah blah. No no no. I, I'm not that kind anyway. So I just kept my mouth shut. Plus I, I didn't know when somebody might start screaming at me, <laughs> if I if I said I wasn't getting the vaccination. <laughs> But, you know, yes, in terms of the vaccination, and I I never liked calling it that. I prefer to call it the jab because it is not something to – it's not a traditional vaccination to prevent the spread or the the, uh, acquiring of a disease. But I read the other day, and I can't recall who this came from. I want to say Dr. Peter McCullough, but I'm not sure if it it was – intermediary that that was reporting him to what I read. But anyway, it said, for those that want to overcome adverse side effects of the shot jab or the shot itself, there were three natural products that they could take, natokinase, bromelain, and curcumin. It would undo? Yes. Natokinase, bromelain, or bromelain, how's it pronounced? I'm not sure. And curcumin. There was a novel by Henrik Ibsen. It was, well, it was more of a short story, The Enemy of the People. It was on this town that it had a spring, and the town made its money by selling that spring water. And a scientist in the town, he analyzed the water and discovered it was actually poisonous. And he suddenly became an enemy of the people. That is, he was a whistleblower, and he should be for, I mean, all kinds of awards for saving people. But no, he became an enemy of the people. We have alarmists like Steve and Diane here <laughs> saying you shouldn't do it. I didn't get the vaccination because as soon as it came out, the epidemiologist, who's also a good friend of mine who goes to Africa with me, he said, George, don't, don't get the vaccination. I said, yeah. why do you come by that? And he said, what am I? I said, you're an epidemiologist. He said, that's right. And it's not a real vaccination. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael Yeadon, who I think was vice president of Pfizer, I'm not sure which pharmaceutical company he was, but I want to say Pfizer, but don't quote me on that. He was saying you can't produce a vaccination in the short of time that this 
emergency use authorization jab yes. was yeah. was put on the market. It takes yeah. at least six to ten years to produce mm-hmm. an effective vaccination. Mm-hmm. But didn't they have this ready to go long before the COVID mm-hmm. pandemic? Well, there's some evidence of that, that they had, not the Trump administration, but scientists or pharmaceuticals had already started working on it before China released it. Some evidence to that effect. So I, I don't know. I just, my husband and I didn't take it because they didn't have human trials. I mean, it takes five years to do human trials and to test out any medicine, any medicine at all, to make sure so that they know it's effective, number one. And number two, they know that they're, what the side effects are. And the side effects are minor enough, you know, cost-benefit analysis are minor enough that go and and the benefits are are good enough that it's worth the gamble. And then, of course, they they make you sign a release. All of these side effects, but if you still want to have this medicine, go ahead kind of thing. But that's why we didn't take it. It had nothing to do with politics, had nothing to do with the fact that the government was or was not trying to force it down our throats. We just didn't think we needed it medically, that it wasn't worth the gamble. And event, and as time went on, COVID turned out to be not not the you know the black plague that they told us it would be. There was it just wasn't as horrible as they originally thought. Why? Why put something into your body? It's not needed. A know? lot of people did just by pressure. There's a lot of you're if you're a good citizen, you'll do this. I can't believe it, but we're at the end of our time here. It goes so fast with you two. You're you're fascinating <laughs> people to me, and I, such a privilege to know you. To our radio listening audience. Please put people onto this Tea with George in the podcast section. Get real. And have your friends come up to snuff on what's going on and how it affects them, what they need to fight, and what they need to embrace. Right now, I'm embracing prayer. Uh, Dr. Guinness said one of the most effective weapons still is if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, repent and call out to me. I will hear their voice. And so that's a promise from God. So I have been praying that God would restore our Judeo-Christian Republic and uh, that he would save us from what his enemies and ours are doing. Uh, Next time, I want to talk more about Israel and what's going on over there. And uh, Steve and Diane, sounds like a song. No, that's a song by the Steve Miller Band take the money and run. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Steve. Goodbye, everybody. Today's podcast has been brought to you by the Kaler Wealth Management Group in Lynchburg, Virginia. Are you planning on taking Social Security within the next five years? Did you know there's over 2,000 combinations that a married couple must decide on Give us a call to make the very best choice, 434-455-7197.